Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Process Podcast. I'm Charlie, joined by my best friend, Nick. Nick, tell the people who we have today. Hey, everybody. We got Greg Thompson with us from Cover One. Greg, thank you so much. Uh, we got what should be a fun episode here. We're going to be handicapping. We're making up our own lines on position battles within the Bills, who we think the odds are on week one middle linebacker, who we think right guard might be. And then we're going to make up some fun ones ourselves. Charlie, Charlie's uh, got one about passes thrown from people not named Josh Allen. We're going crazy. Uh, Greg, <laughs> welcome here, I guess. Uh, tell the people where they can find you, and then uh, we'll get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as you said, you have a lot of fun over at Cover One. You guys can come check us out anywhere that you're watching a family show like The Process. You can find any of our stuff at Cover One. And when I heard about the idea for the show tonight that it was not only Bills, but you know, debating some of the more fun position battles and putting odds on them, I, I was in hook, line, and sinker. This was an easy sell for me. A family show, Charlie. You hear that? Family show. I'll, I'll try to keep it PG tonight. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, listen, before we get into the battles, we got to quickly talk about digs. I'm a little bit bored of some of this national narrative here, but but we'll we'll try to make it fun, I guess. Uh, let's just go around the room. I'm going to throw out a, you know, a sentence with a blank in it, and you guys just tell me one word, your thoughts. All right, so Charlie, start me off here. Um, after last week, you think Stefan Diggs feels blank about how the situation played out. Fine. I think he's fine. I think everything's done and over with, and national media is just reaching the straws at this point. Greg? Um, yeah, I'd say I'll say satisfied in that I think he, you know, there's a piece of it where, you know, he could have resolved this privately at any point over the previous four and a half months. He wanted it to be public. He wanted it to be that he had some leverage and on his terms and I think he got that. I think he got the um, the response day two from McDermott that really, you know, showed support towards him. I think he got attention from, you know, whoever the parties might be. I, I you know, I think everyone has some feelings on how much of it's Josh Allen, how much of it's Ken Dorsey, how much of it's Brandon Bean, how much of it's Sean McDermott. Uh, I think he got the the audience and the attention that he felt he deserved. And now I think it satisfied that need and it's much less of an issue internally than externally. But, you know, we've all had close friends and people that we care about that you've had some things that need to be resolved, but once they are, you keep rolling, you're, you're back to normal. And I think to Charlie's point, I think it's probably a lot calmer internally than some, you know, national folks are hoping it would be. Okay. Now, now, so one of the things that was interesting was Sean McDermott kind of said one thing on, on one day and they came out the next day and, and sort of uh, kind of said, you know, look over here instead. Uh, so this question is going to be, I bet blank person wants a do-over on last week. Oh, Sean McDermott, 100%. Mm-hmm. I, I would Sean agree McDermott. with that. I'd agree with that for sure. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Easy answer. I, I, well, I, so I, I kind of rambled about it uh, on my show a week or so ago that I, you know, the man is a walking, you know, coachism cliche machine 
all season long when I really want insight into what's going on. And now the one time that I would have liked a coach speak cliche, non-answer. Now you need to <laughs> give me the emotional raw truth. Like you couldn't give me just the, the generic coach speak non-answer this time. Like you needed to speak from the heart on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think, I think it, if I'm piecing the timeline together, I think that that discussion with whoever else was in the room and it, I, I'm going to guess it's four people. I think it was McDermott Bean, Josh Allen and Diggs. I think that conversation was minutes prior to the press conference or ended, you know, within me. I don't even think it was a whole hour prior to the press conference ending. And I think that Sean McDermott was coming into it, you know, kind of hot and was honest. <laughs> and the, then I think like most competitive people, it calmed down because they talked later on and they had some wine and then the next day they were okay. But I think it was an, a rare, honest moment from Sean McDermott, honestly. Not honest in that he lies, but honest in that like he doesn't give that much away in those moments. Mm-hmm. And there he was actually, you know, exposing a live wire a little bit. Do you, do you think, Greg, you know, you're hearing so much now coming out from obviously the national media who don't usually look at what's going on in Buffalo, right? Between what we're hearing about stuff going on with Leslie Frazier, you know, what happened between McDermott and Leslie Frazier, supposedly. Now he's out looking at other jobs through whatever program he's in. Um, do you think Buffalo has an issue with McDermott? I mean, obviously the front office loves him, but do you think McDermott is a problem in Buffalo? I, I genuinely don't because I don't think there's any surprise. Like, yeah, he's a hardo. Like, He's probably not that fun to work for, but neither was Bill Parcells and neither is Bill Belichick and neither is Mike Vrabel and neither is Mike Tomlin. And most coaches aren't Pete Carroll or Dick Vermeil, you know, buddy, buddy crying on everybody's shoulder. Like this is a league of, of insane workaholic hardos that that's how they got to that point. So I think most people, the vast majority of people, know exactly what they're signing up for mm-hmm. when you're signing up to work for Sean McDermott, who is a, you know, right up there with anybody else in the league as a workaholic. Like the dude had to apologize and explain how that he would sleep at home a few nights a week in the season or had to start sleeping at home a few nights a week during the season because otherwise he literally never saw his family. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of guy we're talking about here. So, they know what they're getting into when this happens. So, um, I, you know, is it a in a perfect world? Like when people talk about, oh, I want Josh Allen to keep running the ball and never fumble, and I want him to make all those awesome, ridiculous play uh, plays and never throw interceptions. And never get course, hurt, yeah. Yeah, of course I'd want those things. So, yes, would it be awesome if we got all the meticulous, crazy, hardworking elements of Sean McDermott in the culture building and – he was this awesome, chill dude that you could go have a beer with? Sure, that'd be cool. But I'll take all the good parts <laughs> and deal with the other stuff because that package is what ended the 17-year playoff draft. Now, now in, in the, the past week, a lot of speculation has come out about how this looks on, on Ken Dorsey. And it, um, I'm not saying this was a Ken Dorsey issue. I haven't even really seen legitimate reporting on that. But it, it does kind of make you wonder, after the Bills offense slumped a little bit last year, is was it related to Josh's elbow? Was it play calling? You saw Diggs and Josh yelling at each other. Uh, I would like one word from both of you. Ken Dorsey's seat is how hot? Uncomfortably. 
I, I, you know how I feel about Ken Dorsey, so I'm going to say scorching. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's your opinion. I'm asking you, like, within the Bills organization, like, like, what is your take on on how hot it is to them? Well, I, I think you know Ken Dorsey to the organization. I think it's you know you're also talking about an offense that finished second in the league last year, right? So it wasn't a terrible offense. However you did see a regression from your franchise quarterback. In my opinion, you saw your top receiver not get involved the way that he should. You know, again, it was a first year offense for Ken Dorsey, but you also saw this offense that looked unstoppable up until the second half of the Packers game completely fall apart after that and not look the same after that first half of the Packers game for the rest of the year. So I, I do think Ken Dorsey is on a hot seat in some way, shape or form and don't forget, you also have Joe Brady sitting in sitting and waiting as your QB coach. Joe Brady, I think, would be a great offensive coordinator, especially with Josh Allen. Um, so, yeah, I, I think if Joe Brady wasn't there, I'd say Ken Dorsey was probably safe for another year. But you have Joe Brady sitting there who has play calling uh, um, experience, who led Joe Burrow to a national championship at LSU, who really wasn't the problem in Carolina, in my opinion. I think if given another chance, Joe Brady would excel as an offensive coordinator. And I think he's just sitting there waiting his turn behind Ken Dorsey. One, I think Joe Brady will be in another play caller and offensive coordinator in this league. I don't know if it'll be in Buffalo, but it's possible. Um, There's one piece of information that none of, I don't think any of the three of us have um, that they do internally is how big of last year was Josh's elbow. And how much was the UCL? How much did that limit play calling? How much did they have to cater around that? They know that and we don't. So if that answer is, hey, Josh was ready and they could call whatever they wanted and all of a sudden it got weird and clunky and hard to to accomplish, that's a factor. And that's something that he's going to have to answer to. If it's, hey, they realize it was freaking bubblegum and duct tape for six weeks and that they don't even understand how the hell he was on the field and that they're not even sure how Ken put together a game plan to still be able to accomplish the second highest scoring offense in the league. He has way more wiggle room than what we realize. Um, The reason I said it's uncomfortably hot is that there's so much pressure on this team. Hmm. I don't think there's any realistic outcome where Brandon Bean or Sean McDermott's jobs are in jeopardy. Um, I think it would take a healthy team missing the playoffs for either of them to actually come into question. If it's any combination where they make the playoffs again and have an ugly ending, I think both of them can be on a hot seat in 2024. I don't think there's any, I don't see any realistic scenario where there's not an excuse because of a Josh injury or something else where they're not here going into next year. There are multiple outcomes where I could see Ken Dorsey not being here. Like, I I don't know that it's greater than 50-50. I think it's more likely that they have another good season. I think that enough of that explanation was Josh's elbow that now him being healthy and some added different weapons. Finally, you know, they've tried two off seasons in a row with Jacob Hollister and OJ Howard to have this two tight end thing. And now they're finally like, screw it. You're going to figure this out. Cause here's a first round pick. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they tried to pack it. They thought Isaiah McKenzie was a slot guy. Obviously that he wasn't. Now they have uh, a second tight end. They have Deontay Harris. They have, um, you know, 
Clueless Care, whoever else is going to play around there, Trent Sherfield. They have multiple investments in that area. I think they they figured some of that out. They thought Roger Saffold was going to be had one last run in him. That was a horrible investment. He was a turnstile. So I think just going from horrible to adequate now at that spot, having competition on the other side, all those things I think eliminated a lot of excuses for Ken Dorsey. And now he needs to produce again. If he produces a weirdly ugly, wonky, but still second highest scoring team in the league, where char- people like Charlie are probably still going to be frustrated because he's still going to be here because you're not going to fire a guy for the second highest scoring team in the league. If it's a noticeable step back and we eliminated all the other questions, there's not much else to ask about. Like it, it's got to be the play caller. Cause it's obviously not Josh Allen. Like I don't get me wrong, Josh. I argue this all the time. He deserves more blame than he gets for just about everything, but he's also the greatest thing that's ever happened to our franchise. So I get why people don't blame him for much. Um, but it's beyond that now where if we've eliminated and isolated all those other variables and we still see this clunky, hard it it seems hard to accomplish it again it's hard to point it anywhere else other than dorsey so we'll find out all right uh let's turn it forward here just give me a number from zero to 100 100 being super hot and zero being ice cold how hot is this dig situation still going forward 37 okay good number uh i'd say probably like 20 percent. it's not even really you guys think this is kind of over yeah yeah i i pick 37 because it's not zero and it's not like <laughs> two or three like I, I there's there's something there but I, I i was thinking way high i was thinking you know it's 60s maybe like they like it's a you know temporary volcano you know it's not erupting right now but it, you know it's a volcano it could erupt i don't think that's crazy and i was already wrong once because i was certain he was going to be here day one and i was already wrong about that so um i I kind of think he just likes attention. (laughs) Like I, I, and you know, God God bless him. He's a good looking man. He has a modeling career. He's a really good receiver who has an untradeable contract. So he has no downside for anything that he says. Like, I, Mm -hmm. you know, God bless him. I just sounds like an awesome life. I, I, you know, it is what it is, but the, the just constant cryptic tweets, the constant, you know, open discussion with his brother and different things like that. But Mm -hmm. I really just think it's, we, we got to stop being surprised that a dude who loves attention continues to seek out attention. Like, you know what? Yeah. Like how how you phrase that too. There's no consequences for him. They can't trade him. And and he's great. What can they, yeah. uh, He puts in the same amount of work. He shows up every game day, balls out. Yep. He's got pocket aces and he knows how to use them right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, all right, listen, last one. We'll wrap me, it up here with the fun let one. Let me ask this oh, sorry, one yeah, question ahead, real quick. So, actually, it's a two-part question for you, Greg. So, obviously, you know there's rumors going around that the Bills are internally, privately saying that they'll trade Stefan Diggs, but not publicly saying. That's what I read today. What? Come on. I read this. I literally read this probably 25 minutes before we got on this on this, on this podcast. That's why but, you don't cram for the test, Charlie. Yeah, right. So t- they said that he is – privately the Bills are saying that they'll trade Stefan Diggs. Obviously, we know contract-wise they can't. Secondly, the rumor I mean, that he hold was – Hold on. Let me push back. They could. It would just be a ton, ton of money. Like this has happened. Teams have taken on more money than that for a quarterback. Like 
But if you're going to trade Stefan Diggs and eat that money, you're just going back to what you were at before Brandon Bean got the Buffalo and you're not going backwards. You're, you're literally putting your franchise backwards trading Stefan Diggs. Let's be honest. The, there's lots of things where I'm open-minded about accepting that I don't, I don't know all the information. There's always discussions that I'm surprised by. There are things that are there. That's one that I, I'm very comfortable saying the they that you read that from is literally making it up. Yeah, I, I, I mean it 100% yeah. genuinely. Yeah. I, I, I don't mean that in that, hey, I think that Stefan Diggs likes to stir stuff up. I think there's probably a little bit more directly between Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs than we like to admit. I, I think that some of Stefan Diggs' issues are directly with Josh Allen and that that's a piece of it. I don't think there is any discussion internally, so, even considering trading uh, Stefan Diggs. I think it's literally 0%. So that came from Benjamin Albright. He was on the uh, Broncos Country Tonight, whatever that is, podcast, I guess. Uh, and he said that I've talked to some people in Buffalo on the condition of anonymity, and they said that publicly we're not moving him privately. We would consider it under the right circumstances. You know, <laughs> so if those right circumstances are CD Lamb and two first round picks, you're right. Those are the right circumstances. Yeah. Like, I just, I, there are no reasonable realistic everyone's tradable if minnesota's right. giving us back justin jefferson sure all right yeah that's the right Absolutely. circumstance sign me up for that one yeah like <laughs> if the if the bengals are trading us jamar chase you're right those are the right circumstances and i would be open to that discussion but there is no and i mean this in all sincerity like I, I one of my most common you know catchphrases on our show is there's a non-zero chance you never know the crazy stuff happens they are not trading Stefan Diggs full stop that's what I like to hear I just that's what I like to hear. and I believe me like there are lots of things where I you know hell Eric on our channel knows that dude knows more about like scheme and breaking down film than I've all ever know mm-hmm. um there's stuff that I'm confident in the one thing that I am confident in is NFL contracts they're not trading it they can't <laughs> they can't trade him they would literally make it that next year they may not be able to function as a franchise. They may not be able to field a roster that is allowed to play if mm-hmm. they trade him. Like they're For what? already because a 30 million dead cap? Because they're already 26 million over the cap before that. And if you add mm-hmm. another 31 on there, they literally may not have enough other moves to cut down and restructure all the different pieces without releasing people. And if you release people, you have to replace them with another contract. You would literally get close to where it would be hard to function as a franchise and to field an eligible roster where you're allowed to have 53 contracts. The bills would be like the replacements at that point. Yeah. I mean, it would be, you know, you'd be talking about, they would have to be, I would, I would even have to look at it to like go through the exercise to figure out how to do it where you'd be talking about, okay, right off the bat, you are restructuring everything that's not bolted down, which is further future stuff on um, 
Everyone. Uh, Von Miller and Josh Allen are the two easiest ones. You already traded away Stephon Diggs, so you're also restructuring Trey Dawkins. White. No, 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 no. Now you're releasing Deion Dawkins. You're mm. releasing Mitch Morris. You're releasing Jordan Poyer. You're not – and then you, you can't bring back anyone. So right. Micah Hyde, everybody else who's on one-year deals are all – Gabe Davis is gone. Um, so you would be at the point where if I did all those things, I might be able to come up with the 51 51- – million maybe and then you would get to the point i'm not sure how i'd create the space to sign the draft picks so then now you're trying to figure out you literally might be at like only undrafted free agents and minimum contracts so when i say like right now you made the comment earlier it actually is not that hard to trade him right now because his dead cap hit is technically a million dollars less than what his actual cap hit is so if we traded him We'd eat 13 million instead of the 14. So we'd pay him about the same. We'd have one million dollars to go find a new wide receiver one. Um, so we couldn't even take back any contract. We could only take back like a rookie contract if we traded him yeah. um to still function. It's next year that the issue is and having that 31 million next year where it would take I'm as good at this as anyone who doesn't do it professionally. It would take everything I know how to do to just be able to put a roster together with not re-signing anyone, not being able to trade for anyone, not even being able to do draft picks just to find 53 contracts you could fit. I didn't even think about it that way. I mean, when you put it that way, it's it's next to impossible. So when I say zero, that's why. It's not because – and don't get me wrong. If, if it literally went completely sideways and Stefan Diggs actually came out and said, I'm never playing for the Buffalo Bills ever again, you know, I, they might try to find a way to do it, but it would be nuclear winner. It would be the absolute worst, like worse than anything the Saints have faced over the last couple of years. We have leveraged ourselves to where we need all the stuff that's supposed to go right to go right. We Absolutely. like we we're not in a position where we can have a lot of weird outside stuff. Like we've already, you know, we've done all the extra bonus stuff. There isn't anything else there. The stuff that we plan on going right needs to go right. That would be one where, you know, they wouldn't have restructured his deal. They wouldn't have set up his extension the way that they did. We're already in a position where we're probably going to be paying Stefan Diggs later than we want as a like premium elite receiver. And that's, I mean, we're already on the hooks where four years down the line, it's not super easy to move on from him, let alone right now. All right. Well, that was that was that was thorough. Uh, thorough. I appreciate that. Uh, let's end it on a, on a fun one here. We know Stefan Diggs is at Paris Fashion Week right now. Stefan Diggs' fashion sense is what? Fire. Yeah. Some cool word I don't even know. Like some word that I would try to mangle, and like the younger people listening would make fun of me because it was a word that was actually cool last year, and I don't even know about it anymore. I mean, I could never wear his fashion. <laughs> would never work for me, but hey. Yeah, yeah, I'm not showing up with like crocheted full face coverings uh, over over me. And there, yeah, he is at you know, as far as I can tell, it seems like he's pushing boundaries that are like really in the right space to do that. And it seems like he actually genuinely cares about that and is doing those things, you know, being able to get the right attention. So. All right, Stefan. Some Diggs word I don't even know. Pushing boundaries on and off the field. 
that's a professional right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, we're gonna we're gonna switch around to uh, to some some roster battles here. I personally am most interested in middle linebacker. After Tremaine Edmonds went to Chicago, uh, they have a big question mark there. And instead of finding one guy who could definitely be it, they have literally a handful of guys who all could maybe start at middle linebacker. So let's just run down the list real quick, starting with Terrell Bernard. All right. So Bernard uh, was a was a higher up draft pick uh, last year. Well, I don't know. Do you call is the is the draft we just had is that last year now? I don't know how to yeah. say that. I, like, if you say last year's yeah. draft, I, 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 right? I would think of twenty twenty two. Third round pick in twenty twenty two. He's he's certainly a top contender. Tyrell Dodson had some starts there last year when Edmonds was injured. AJ Klein has filled in, can fill in. Is he really best for that long term? I don't know. Balen Spector, seventh round pick in 2022. Is he is he going to jump a third round pick in his own draft class? We'll see. And they just drafted Dorian Williams. So can Dorian Williams immediately play in the middle? They have said they're gonna they're gonna try. They're gonna see if it's even possible, and then they think that they will know by the start of training camp if that's even a battle he's going to be a part of. So. Uh, Greg, where do you want to start here? You want to start with, uh, with, with Dorian or you want to start with somebody who's been on the roster? So I would start at who I think is the leader in the clubhouse and has the highest odds. And I, I actually think it's Terrell Dodson. Like, I, I don't, I don't know that mm. I love that. That's my answer. Um, <laughs> Charlie, I don't love it either. Charlie, are you reacting to that or? I don't. I don't love it either. But okay, you, you won't see this on on the podcast. As soon as Greg said that name, Charlie just put his face right in his hands. <laughs> I, I and I, I think that it's. I think they're all plus odds. Like I, I think they're. It's so close between there. There's not an actual. We'll get to some positions where there is a heavy, heavy favorite. Sure. This is not one of. This is by far the most wide open. I think that it's not crazy that. The, the reason I say Terrell Dodson is I think he's actually the safe fallback that people tell themselves that AJ Klein is. I don't think AJ Klein's actually like in the running for it, but I think Dodson is that guy that's like, hey, if we really don't think the young guys have it, at least he's been in this in the system yeah. for a while and he's still young and athletic enough that we can talk ourselves into it. I know he has limitations to coverage, but mm -hmm. we can make it work. So I think he's like a plus one eighty kind of like that that's the best odds but that it's still it's so wide open that i think guys like aj klein and balen specter are on the board as a bet because i can tell myself a story where they have the mm -hmm. christian benford's camp like from last year or the guy they're like hey we can't believe it but this guy just keeps you know making plays mm -hmm. so that, i do think that, it Dotson starts started twice last year when edmonds was out yes. either of those yeah. appearances like really impress you though no no they didn't. For me, they would be reasons that he's not the guy. But I also am going to start at, hey, when Edmonds wasn't there, who did they go to? Mm -hmm. And they went to with AJ Klein on the roster at that point, with Terrell Bernard obviously there, with Balen Specter there, they went to Terrell Dotson. So I'm going to start there, even though, if I'm putting a bet in, that's not who I'd bet on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Charlie, agree, disagree? Uh, obviously disagree. <laughs> Don't like that at all. Zero stars do not recommend. Exactly. Don't like Terrell Dotson there at all. 
Uh, but remember, I, I know you don't like it. We we're 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 the house right here. We're making the betting odds. Right. We want to get even bets I, across. I, I, I'm going to tell you who I think, in my opinion, where I would put my money on. In all honesty, is on Dorian Williams. Okay. One Nick, as you know, Greg and 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 I I am not a um, AJ Klein fan whatsoever. Although he did have one game last year that I got on this podcast. That's, and it was, that Seahawks game. We'll right. go down in history forever. Giving him a standard ovation for that game. However, the rest of the season, I was not a fan of much of what he has done or what he's done in the past. I just think with Dorian Williams' skill set for what he can bring to the linebacker position between the speed that he has. I know he's a little on the shorter side. He's only six foot two, but so is Matt Milano. I think what you're going to see from this defense is going to be completely different than what we've seen in years past. I think you're going to see more of a – Two linebacker, maybe, you know, you throw in a, th- a third safety, right? You got rap. He's not going to be sitting on the bench. You know what I mean? I think you're going to find ways to get him on the field as well as Williams and um, uh, and and what's his name over on the other side there? Uh, uh, my, Matt Milano, thank so, you. All right, nobody remembers Matt Milano. You're That's right. Yeah, right. So. Sure. so, yeah, right. So, um, I, I just really, in my honest opinion, I think Dorian Williams is the starter coming into week one okay I guys you're... i gotta i gotta tell you i, I probably would have went terrell bernard as my top guy i mean he's he's a little bit of an underdog okay charlie's making another face at me that you're not gonna <laughs> this is the behind the scenes stuff you're not gonna get i'm looking at this list like you guys saying eh, no one's really jumping out at me here this is a guy who was a third round pick as a year in the system could have been a higher pick if he didn't have some of the injuries I, you guys think that's crazy I don't, and it's where my bet would go. Like, I, I think that the first snaps in camp, it's going to be Dodson. I think that I, I I maybe think a little bit that Bobby Babich is rooting for Williams. I think he likes – I think they like him and that potential. I think Sean McDermott really trusts Dave Aranda. That's one of his best friends. He brought him in from that scheme – the reason and everything they talk about with Terrell Bernard is his instincts, his ability to read the situation, to understand where to be, and to be able to do that. The the things that are there. The reason that they couldn't just slide him in last year is they built that system around what Tremaine Edmonds was, and they weren't going to just change it for a game or two because of some substitute. They're going to change now. As, as Charlie brought up, Taylor Rapp's going to play. There's going to be plenty of games with the three guys in the middle are. Taron Johnson, Matt Milano, and, and Taylor Rapp. And that's our dime defense, and that's what's going to be out there. The yeah. Taylor Rapp's going to play plenty of dime coverage snaps. I think Terrell Bernard can be there 80% of the snaps instead of Tremaine Edmonds 100%. Lots of blitzing, lots of movement all over the place, uses athleticism, and be able to get up there and, and to stuff those plays. And I think that people are way too quick to close the door just because he didn't break out. But I, I don't know what people expected him to do when Milano and Edmonds were going to play 100% of snaps every game. So I I think there's more upside left with uh, Terrell Bernard than what people think. I won't be sad, and I, I kind of would be rooting for Dorian Williams to come in and just blow them away and to take the job. But I think it's going to start with Terrell Dodson getting the first snaps, being the more likely player, and I kind of think Terrell Bernard's going to be the one that's going to take the job from him with his play, showing those instincts as they have a chance to really use that. 
I just didn't see any of those instincts last year when he was on the field. You know, he, I think he had one game that he started or played in at some he point. Started one game when Milano was out. Yes, yeah. I, and I thought that he was an absolute liability. You know, um, now look, I'll be honest, Greg. I don't watch as much tape as what you guys do over there at Cover One. I, what you guys do is straight up dedication. You know, it's um, so boring. <laughs> film is so boring to watch. Okay. I I, I can never sit there and do it the way you guys do. That's for sure. But you know, and and you tell me if I'm wrong. But I I don't think that anything that I saw watching that game with my two eyes showed me anything where I feel comfortable right now sitting here saying that I could see him being day one starter. So the, we did a good breakdown. Eric went through that exact same thought uh, process that we kind of went in assuming it wasn't going to be great. And I would say it was better than we remember. It mm-hmm. wasn't as bad as what we remember. It showed some flashes that do translate that are the reason that I kind of think he's got a better shot than people realize. Okay. I We're not going to have – I'll go this far. I don't think we're going to have that good of a middle linebacker this season. I don't – I'm not that concerned with it because when the other players around you are Matt Milano, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Taron Johnson, Trey White, whoever is the other corner, um, you're going to be okay. You're going to look fine. We have, a, we have a really deep, good front line in front of him. We, have, we now have multiple – one techniques a defensive tackle in front of those guys. I think any of those guys are going to be okay. And I don't honestly think any of their upside or ceiling, you never know. Dorian Williams hasn't played a snap yet. I don't think any of their ceiling is like amazing all pro guy. That's going to come out of nowhere. I think all of them are going to be set up to be okay. And I think multiple of them, multiple of them can. So I I'm not as concerned with it. Cause I think the range of outcomes is probably closer than what we realize. Well, Greg just made just had me kind of change my answer here. I think I'm going with uh, Trell Bernard here. I think he could come out and be kind of the leader coming out of preseason. I do. I do have to say there there was a quote uh, from one of the it might have been post draft. I think from Brandon Bean, and he said they believe. Let me find the exact quote so I don't uh, don't mess it here. Okay, this is Brandon Bean talking shortly after the draft, or may, maybe it was one of the mini camps, rookie mini camp, maybe. Um, just about the linebacking battle. And he said, one of the players, he said that there is a leader in the clubhouse and he's referencing Tyrell Dodson. And I think he's saying that just because of the experience he has in the system and the fact that he's done it before. And to me, in some ways that almost felt like, like a, a negative on him. Like, of course the general manager is going to go out of his way and say something nice about the guy now when it doesn't actually mean anything. Cause he knows he's going to get passed later on. But maybe if you're making a betting odds right now, maybe he, he is your favorite. Uh, Greg, quickly, let me ask you, given the things we're talking about schematically, is there is there a skill set here that maybe is more important to have? Is, is a run stuffer more important because they have other pieces around it and he comes out the field maybe? Uh, is there anything we're, we're missing just, just uh, skill-wise or schematically? So the Bills have spent way too much time building what I think is one of the best, if not the best, pass defense in the NFL. Everything's been based around that. We have gone with multiple converted safeties at linebacker. We have a lot of light, smaller, uh, active defensive linemen. We want to be able to build a high-scoring offense that builds a lead and then it gets after you when you're forced to pass. So that's why we've seen some of those ugly games the last couple of years that when the game script goes poorly, you can kind of run on us. So I, my gut is that that's still the 
predominant skill set they're concerned about is hey who can cover the best in the nfl because that's it's a passing league and that's not going to stop there's a little sliver of me that wonders if just exactly how many snaps do they plan on taylor rat playing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and if that number is higher than we realize all of a sudden that platoon that you know some people are like oh well they could do part terrell bernard part aj klein and i'm like well what if it's Terrell Bernard or even maybe that's why Terrell Dodson maybe has more of a chance than we realize? Is it what if that platoon is, hey, first down run stuffing guy because anytime it's a passing down guy, it's going to be Taylor Rep anyways? Yeah, um, okay, that, that's kind of what there's I'm, a, I'm There's a window. Yeah, okay, so, I mean, Terrell Edmonds was a 100% snap player. The, yes. The Bills middle linebacker 2023 does not have to be a 100% snap guy at all. Also, the middle linebacker doesn't be the have to be the guy to wear the green dot. I kind yes. of think Matt Milano is going to wear the green dot no matter what, yes. just because he's we know he's going to be on the field every single play. It doesn't mean he's a middle linebacker, but he can call the defense because he's on the field every single play. Yes, agree on both points there. So let me well, ask, just just put Puna Ford at middle linebacker. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about a big run stuffing guy at middle linebacker? There you go. He's capable of all positions. I think all so. Th- all I things are that. possible. For you, could, you could, I mean, I bet Von Miller could play a half decent middle linebacker if he really put his mind to it. <laughs> there um, you go. Okay, so just quickly on on that topic, anyone does that rule them out to you? Like like their their pass coverage, like Dodson pass coverage, not really his strength. But you're saying that maybe that's okay because he's only going to be in a run. I don't know. We're kind of we're kind of going down the rabbit hole a little bit, but. I would say the best chance for a path for Terrell uh, Dodson to be the starter is that it's a known platoon with Taylor Rapp and that, hey, they think he, I mean, he is the biggest of the, I mean, let me do a side note. The reason I have a non-zero chance at Balin Specter is he's sneakily the biggest and the best athlete of all five guys. Like he's got the best relative athletic score, the best testing scores, and he's the biggest guy. Like he's the size of AJ Klein, but he moves like Terrell Bernard. I just don't know if he's any good. So, like, <laughs> I, I that's why he's a, the technical non-zero like dark horse that's mm-hmm. out there. That I don't think it's going to happen. I certainly wouldn't bet on it. But like, if there's a plus two thousand, like twenty to one shot here, okay, I, I guess like he's the biggest and the best athlete out of the group. Okay. So maybe that's a thing. All right. And then to, to me, AJ Klein, he's, I mean, he's there. I mean, it would really take an injury or two. Like, he's kind of the safety blanket in my eyes. If they really needed somebody, they could, but he's not the, their first or their second choice. Great practice squad candidate. He's Duke Johnson. He's the linebacker, Duke Johnson. Like, it's like great. Possibly like Duke, inactive, yeah. Duke Johnson could have played for us last year. We just didn't have running back injuries, so he sat on practice squad all year. AJ mm-hmm. Klein will be an awesome break glass in case of emergency. AJ Klein is better than signing some random dude we've never heard of off the street in week 12. Like, he's better than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just don't want him to actually have to play or start. Yeah, didn't the Bills, like, literally sign him off the street in week 12 last year? Correct. He had gotten fully waived <laughs> by the Bears after they traded for Roquan Smith and was an available. Now, he was a free agent for, I think, like 10 whole days. Yeah. Um, but he literally was a street free agent and was yeah. available at that point, waiting yeah. for a, you know, contending roster to pick yeah. him up. All right, let's put some lines on this here. So, so Charlie, what are we thinking? Who's our who's our our, our favorite? We're going with Dodson. No, I well, as a group, it sounds like yes. However, I'm still going with Bernard <laughs> as my personal favorite, 
after All right. Greg. I mean, I'm, I'm really fighting the urge to be like, they're the same odds. Like, I do I, not want to. No, do no, that. no. That's that's not I, far I mean, off. That, I, I think I the, either one. You're talking like plus one fifty, plus one ninety, plus two ten. Like, it's all like that. Top three are all super, mm-hmm. super close and right there in anything that you'd have in a, you know, you get down to the final four and three of the teams are like one or two seeds. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a Cinderella out there. Mm-hmm. And like, everybody's like, I don't know. It's going to be one of those three. It's going to be that mm-hmm. kind of odd structure where I think there's a, you know, 30% chance that it's, you know, uh, Dodson and 30% that it's uh thir- you know, 28% that it's uh, Bernard and 25% that it's Williams. And then, there's like a 10, 15% yeah. chance. All right, of, all right. That kind of works guys. to me. So so we're going first tier, Dotson, then Bernard, then Williams. But That's what I, I would think so, yeah. But super I, close, super close. And I would think AJ Klein's kind of an odd one out, right? I think he's kind of – he would be that Cinderella. Yeah, way, yeah. way out there. And, I mean, and he's, he's – him, him and Spectre, it's, it's, there's technically a chance, but it's really small. Yeah, I mean, I put Klein fourth just that there's a bunch of injuries and then Spectre, I don't, I don't know. Klein's probably plus twelve hundred. Spectre plus fifteen or two thousand. Yeah, I, I think I said twenty to one, and I, I think that's probably the ballpark. Yeah. And that only because they net they never waived him all year last year. They never exposed him to waivers once. Mm-hmm. He didn't play, but like they were nervous about something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Hey, good discussion here. Like that a lot. Um, let's go to the offensive line. We got right guard and right tackle. Both some question marks there. Um, Maybe we start at at right guard because that could potentially affect right tackle depending on who wins that one. But if you guys want to overrule me, I would allow it. I was planning on making that comment, so you were in the same. We're in the same. <laughs> I I was going to have a dark horse at right tackle if he loses the right guard job. Sure. All right. Well, then let's start at right guard, Greg. How do you see it breaking down? So. I always believe in following the money. I always believe that they tell you what they think of people based on what they invest in them. And we've seen them value Ryan Bates before as the super sub sixth guy. Bobby Hart played a lot of snaps last year. So that's not a non, that's not a bench player for us. Bobby Hart plays almost like 250 snaps last year. We use that spot a lot. So that's a guy who's going to play. I think it, I think it's Ryan Bates ahead of Osiris Torrance. Ooh. Um, and I I think that that's how it starts. I, If you ask me who's the starting right guard the first week of the playoffs, I'd have a different answer. But week one coming out of the training camp and preseason, I, I think my favorite is Ryan Bates for right now. Okay. I, I tend to lean toward you very slightly here. Charlie, your ooh is making me think you like Osiris Torrance. I do. I do. I Look, hope I, that's the answer. I do. I hope that's the answer. Yeah. I, I mean, just, if he comes out and takes it, that we're all awesome. saying that's great. Awesome. You, you, you got to remember with him, man, he came from a small school, stepped into one of the, you know, if not the toughest conference in all of college football and came out of it with talks of being a first round pick, yeah. you know, fell to Buffalo in the second round, which to me, getting him in the second round was a steal for Brandon being in the Buffalo. Awesome build. value. You know what I mean? So, He's a guy who had first round talent, fall second round. You get him. He didn't fall because he's not a good player. He didn't fall because of attitude issues. He fell because it was a deep draft in other positions and teams had needs for wide receivers and, and other positions over a 
guard. And to me, the improvement that he showed from small school to University of Florida, he's still peaking. He hasn't even plateaued yet. And I think you're going to see him take a huge step. I think he's going to impress a lot of people coming into camp this year. He's a, he's a huge man. He, he is a big, big boy. Mammoth. All right, so we're uh, and you know a distant third is probably like Ike Bakker would be like like the way third, but I mean, I think him and Dave, I think David Edwards deserves odds just okay. because he started every game for a Super Bowl run. He started every game for a team that won a Super Bowl. All I think is seventeen regular season games and four playoff games, and that was with the same offensive line coach that is now our current offensive line coach. Okay. So. I think that Aaron Cromer had a voice in the Bills signing David Edwards, and he comes in as a starting caliber guard. I think he's going to end up being just super valuable, really nice high-end depth that we have a guy who can't start for us that is a starting yeah. caliber player. But I think that it, it there's a really high floor at guard this year we haven't had in a while yes. where I think – I don't know any combination that we're not okay and better than last year. Definitely. And I I, I think maybe unsaid in this conversation is at left guard, we feel good about McGovern. That's pretty locked in. Right? I was just about to ask that question. Are we plugging him in at left guard? Way too much money to, yeah. to not be not only the day one starter, but a way longer leash than all the rest of the guys. Mm-hmm. They paid real money over three years, 2018 to 21 million, depending on the incentives and the pieces there. Um, that's way too much money for that not to be. He's got the first eight games, mm-hmm. and I think he's going to run with it because I think he was good and showed legit mm-hmm. upside with with Dallas. Um, but he's he's locked in day one. Okay, and I'll say this too, real quick, Nick. You guys mentioned Ryan Bates earlier. In my opinion, I think Ryan Bates is the next center in waiting. Right. And so to me, I'm not, if I can find a way to plug him in just to have him kind of be on my bench, be my backup for Mitch Morris when, you know, I don't mean to be that guy, but inevitably when Mitch Morris goes down with an injury at some point this season, given his past track record, hey, I'd rather. He had no concussion issues and he had two other surgeries this offseason. So exactly. They, they have to be planning accordingly. I mean, we're so talking I, about football. It's not an right. outrageous thing to say. I want to see Ryan Bates be able to come off the bench and in and not have to move him from guard and then scramble at what you're going to do there. Right. So you're not missing and up your line too bad and i think ryan bates in the past has shown that he can do very well playing the center position and in my opinion he is mitch morris's replacement okay so guys i'm i'm, I'm not feeling as confident about bates as the top odds here uh as when we started i think i think we're in a situation where everyone there's no minus on the board everyone is getting plus odds but it's sounding like i mean it really just it sounds like it depends how good of a camp torrance has I agree. I, I think that he's I, – I actually, now that we've talked through this, I don't think it's crazy to put Torrance a slight notch ahead. I think that undoubtedly Bates is lining up first when camp opens. Mm-hmm. Like That's just the way McDermott operates. Um, but I think that there's enough of an investment there with Torrance and enough early praise that it's not crazy to have there. I'm trying to look. I'm, I'm stealing from – the like NFL division odds. And I'm trying to find one where there's two really tight close ones to see how far do they drop that when it's in that spot. Um, I just think Osiris Torrance is just too obvious of the answer, right? Like you're investing a second round pick and, and look, and I know the, um, 
I, I guess the, 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 the speculation with this coaching staff is they don't like to play the rookies. Right. But you know, in my opinion, you're going to be playing Dawson or uh, Dalton Kincaid, right? You're going to be playing Osiris Torrance. To me, Osiris Torrance not starting week one just would make zero sense. And he is the best guard on, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this best right guard on this team currently. And to me, that's saying something. I think it's just a no brainer for him to come out and be the favorite going into training camp and be the favorite week one. Now I will agree with Greg that with Sean McDermott and, and the way that he operates, yes, Ryan Bates is going to step in. I think week one of training camp or day one of training camp, and he is going to be plugged in as that start at right guard. However, you know, he's going to want Osiris to come in and prove himself and prove that he can step in and play at an NFL level. Dude, the guy gave up zero sacks in college football in, in the sec, in the sec against a very good, I mean, look at who he played. He faced Georgia. Jaylen, one of he the faced best. Jalen Carter, and yeah, stuck. exactly. I, I mean, it's it's just a no brainer. The D- David Edwards, you know, you made good points. You made a good point on David Edwards as well, Greg. I will say that it, it's there's enough guys. I, I think that he's. I don't think it's as three headed as what linebacker is, where there's three guys who will not shock me at all. I'd be a little surprised if David Edwards beats out both guys and, and gets the start. But I mean, he's he's there for a reason like they brought him in for a reason if osiris torrance isn't starting week one are you concerned about him no 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 okay not for a rookie too soon no no he's not starting week one next year then i agree i agree and i I, and i was gonna say if he's not started sometime during this year but you can absolutely talk yourself into a path where ryan Bates is just playing well like we've seen really good stretches from him historically um, so we'll we'll see how that goes, but I, I do think Osiris Torrance is just so big and powerful and talented that I, I think he's going to to beat them out. So I, I think I might have swayed. I, I think Charlie, you, you swayed me a little bit too. I think I might have Torrance as a slight favorite of who's actually going to be the starter week yeah. one. In okay. The season. All right. Now let's transition real quick into to right tackle because mm-hmm. if Ryan Bates doesn't become the right guard he's probably in the right tackle mix as well so greg let's kick it back to you again they cannot stop saying nice things about spencer brown they're trying to make spencer brown happen is it going to happen i think spencer brown is a minus 600 minus 800 favorite to be the week one starter um and the reason that i don't think there's a ton of chance for that to change is they're just not physical enough in current modern NFL training camps that the that he's not there's just not that much chance for him to be exposed to the point that we're gonna know, oh my God, we just can't put him back out there. I'm concerned with Spencer Brown, but even like when I'm talking myself back out of the you know the I saw some bad football last year. This is also still his first healthy offseason with Aaron Cromer. He didn't have surgery coming into this year. He was a small school guy that was crazy athletic and had to kind of round into form. When he was drafted, I said I was excited to see him play in 2023. That was literally what I said because I didn't want him to play the first two years and because he wasn't ready. And I'm going to still hold out hope that there's a chance that him being healthy and having an offseason to actually work with the offensive line coach and get into it means that there's still some upside we haven't seen yet. 
what I'm certain of is he's going to get that chance and he's going to have to fail on the field, not in camp or preseason. He's going to have to fail on the field in real games to have it taken away. So I think there's a chance we see somebody else later on, whether it's Brandon Shell, whether it's David Questenberry, or as you've hinted at, we saw Connor McGovern playing guard with Ryan Bates as his tackle next to him. We saw that that happened at Penn State and that Ryan Bates was drafted as a tackle. And Charlie's spot on that I think his future is at center, but the man can play all five positions. So I, I think that there's an argument that Bates is the more logical fallback than I think fans are talking themselves into Brandon Shell more than they should. Okay. Let me, I, let me I, ask I, this I question. Logic. What about Nick Broker? I know he was drafted as a guard. I know he has can play a little bit of tackle. Arm length is a bit of a concern for him. But do you think one. he could be a guy could possibly move up to tackle? Uh, I think anything is possible, but I, I think that him being a late seventh-round pick and like you said, the, the arm length is real. Like that's a, a, a concern at tackle, whereas it's not that bad at uh, at guard. I think that he's more project than anything else, mm-hmm. but I, I just think they have enough other options and alternatives to try before they need to get to a position change for a seventh round rookie. Okay. Okay, guys, uh, just in general, this is the most competition I feel like the Bills have had at offensive line yeah. since Huge. the last Super Bowl team, maybe. I, I I don't know. What do you guys – I mean, the most I can remember. The floor is the highest we've seen for Josh yes. Allen in yeah, his yes. career. Yes, that's a good way to put it. The floor I, is the ceiling. <laughs> Michael Jordan. Um, so I am not going to go crazy and say that, oh, my God – we can say two things. This can be the best offensive line that Josh Allen has had his entire in his entire career, and I think it's probably just barely above average. <laughs> you know, I don't I think. Mean, I mean, have... one, one, if you have one weak spot, the right tackle spot doesn't pan out. Like one weak spot ruins the line. Correct. The offensive line is a weak link unit where having five average guys is actually better than having four awesome guys in one trash can. Because defensive co- coordinators only care about the trash can. That's all that matters. Like, it doesn't, mm-hmm. you can have studs at the other spots, but if you have just an absolute liability turnstile at that fifth spot, that's where they're going to line Miles Garrett up. That's where they're going to send Mick Bosa. That's who Micah Parsons is going to hit. That's who Aaron Donald's going to go after and loop across. They will just manipulate your dude, especially in that critical spot. So the fact that we're going to have, no matter what, we're going to have a David Edwards, a Ryan Bates, an Osiris Torrance, a Brandon Shell, a Nike Botker all on the bench, not playing, we're mm-hmm. going to be in really good shape. Really good shape. Yeah, yeah and, and for what you just said there, though, is what concerns me with Spencer Brown because we've, we've seen him get so confused and at times look like a pylon out there when you have guys who have those moves like a Miles Garrett, like a Aaron Donald, you know, those guys, he just gets so confused as well where to go. And that's where you see breakdowns on the offensive line. Yeah. Yeah. So the, and I do think part of the issue last year was we did not have an alternative. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a tie in Secchi. David Questenberry was obviously limited in what he can do. So I, I think he's probably on the outside looking in. And the reason they went to get Brandon shell 
and uh, there's not a ton of guarantees in Questenberry's deal that I do expect it to be. Um, he's going to be the AJ Klein or the Duke Johnson of offensive line. I expect mm-hmm. him to be like a break class against emergency um, practice squad guy. But I do think, you know, Brandon Shell is a guy I don't want to start, but he actually was okay for the Dolphins. He was better yeah. than everybody else the Dolphins had at tackle. Um, so having him as like the extra swing guy, or and I'm counting nothing from Tommy Doyle. I'm not expecting anything from Tommy Doyle. That I mean, we have a, wood, like yeah. Hopefully you don't even need him. Yeah, yeah. I think that we have a lot of safety net at offensive line because they saw offensive line depth straight up cost us the Week Three Dolphins game. If we just yes. had better offensive line depth, we it's still ugly, but we win that game. Hydration cost them the Dolphins. Well, there's other pieces. Um, But if we simply had passable offensive line depth, that when we got to the third center and the third right tackle, and we just didn't have any other humans to be able to play, that lost us the game. If we now have functional guys who are, you know, not awesome, but we're going to have like eight or nine NFL caliber starters that just aren't going to be starting for us, guys that are in the whatever. 32 times five of the top 160 guys in the league mm-hmm. we're gonna have a handful of guys who are better than other starters on other bad teams sitting on our bench yeah i like i like how you worry that there greg yeah. um all right listen this is going good i like how this is going we're coming up on the hour let's just keep it rolling here uh cornerback two i gotta think to me kairi lum is a, is a minus favorite in his second year i know the first year as a rookie was not always great Dane Jackson has like showed enough that if someone gets hurt, you could put him in there and maybe feel okay with it. I don't really see Christian Bedford. I gotta think Kyrie Elam's like a minus three hundred here. Jesus, I hope you're right. <laughs> he needs to be right. Like, um, has to be. I'm I'm gonna tell myself that all of this discussion is motivation to make sure that Kyrie Elam is continuing to put in the work and ready to take the job and doing all the right things. And I'm going to cling to similar to my comment about Terrell Dotson, that I believe actions more than words. The last couple games of the season and two playoff games, Dane Jackson and Christian Benford were healthy and Kyer Elam started and played the vast majority of snaps. So I'm going to trust that in the most important games, they had the option to go back to Dane Jackson or to go back to Christian Benford and they stuck with Kyrie Elam. Um, he I also got he an interception in one of those games. Yeah, we, they tried to go at him twice in in Miami. He mm-hmm. broke up a critical play, and then he sniffed out the uh, bubble screen that they tried to throw to Tyree Kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, shameless plug on on Wednesday night. Eric Turner and uh, Anthony Prohaska had Kyrie Elam on the show. They went through and talked about all the different things he's working on, what he's focusing on. He sounds like a confident guy who believes he's going to be the starter. And I think all the stuff of them making him wear boxing gloves in practice, um, making him earn his chance is just that, is making him do it. But he's 6'1 with long arms and runs a 4'3840. They draft him in the first round for a reason. I will be I'll be pissed if he's not the starter <laughs> week one. I, I truthfully, in my opinion, if he's not starting, he's a trade candidate at that point. I'm not. I, I, mean, I saw. They don't have a ton of depth, though. Well, I, I mean, to, to I, trade him, I don't. They, they, I, they I have one of my favorites. That, Go ahead, yeah, Biscalia put him out there as a trade candidate in his article, and I, I think a lot of that's enhanced the discussion. 
I don't see any scenario where they cut bait on a first. How about this? After all the shit Brandon Bean has taken for Wyatt Teller, he's not trading a 6-1 first-round corner who ran a 4-3-8 after one season. He's not doing it. Yeah. I'll say this, and, and look, I know that long total long shot, I'm not saying he's going to start, but the one guy I was so impressed out of everyone that stepped into that CB2 position last year with Jamarcus Ingram. I'm not saying that, look, he's going to come in and impress so many people that he's going to step in week one and be your, your CB2. But I think there's definitely room on the roster for this kid. He's Cam, he's He showed it in the Miami game. He's had a Cam, step Cam Lewis 2.0. Exactly. I, I, I think, truth, I think he's much better than Cam Lewis's ceiling. Um, but I, I think there's a future for him in Buffalo in some kind of role as a backup for that position. I, I'm more comfortable – if Elam goes down or Elam can't play and they were to come to come out and say, Jamarcus Ingram is going to start uh, at the CP2 position. I am more comfortable with him being in there than at Dane Jackson or a Christian Bedford, even though I thought Christian Bedford had the better year than Dane. Jackson. I was just going to say, I, I think you're way too low on Christian Bedford. I think Christian Bedford is a starting caliber corner in this league. I just think higher Elam's better. Okay. I think Christian Bedford is a straight up steal that they got him later. That dude is tough. I actually, I was kind of hoping they would just make the move from him to safety now because I mm-hmm. think next year he needs to be one of our top five DBs somewhere. But I like Christian Benford and would be cool with him starting. And I think Dane Jackson is just another Levi Wallace where it's like our discussion at offensive line. You're not going to be pissed if David Edwards is playing. You're not going to be pissed if Dane Jackson's playing. He's mm-hmm. he's fine. He's a low-end guy and it's just that we happen to have three starting caliber guys over there Kyrie Elam has the ceiling to be higher but I think there are 10 or 15 teams where Christian Benford or Dane Jackson would also be right there starting for them as their below average cornerback too yeah fair all right I mean to me Kyrie Elam's a proud guy NFL bloodlines I think he got humbled last year and I'm I'm looking forward to it to a big comeback season for Agree. Great. Really well said. Really well said. All right, guys. That's uh, most of the, the the big roster battles there. What else do you guys want to want to get into? Well, I have a question. Since we're getting into betting favorites, I have a you know a little fun one here. Who throws for more passing yards this year? Is it Kyle Allen, Buffalo Bills backup quarterback, or insert position player here? You're talking like on a gadget play. Absolutely. I mean, I'm just saying that's then going to go into question number two, but we'll start. Okay. With, with I mean, question like, like, like the obvious answer has to be, yes, the bills, you know, are so far ahead of the pack that they rest Josh Allen in the final game and Kyle Allen throws for 300 yards and that's it. So um, I'm going to give you the super Homer answer because it's June and saying Kyle Allen all the way. Okay. I, I think Nick's right. I think that, Charlie's on to something that I do don't think it's crazy that, that we have three NFL players throw a pass in a regular season game this year. But I do think it's more the combination of, you know, God forbid Josh gets hurt again, but he could. And that I think week 18 is in play that Kyle Allen could be playing the entire second half or they'll keep Josh's start streak alive again. They'll keep that going. Uh, but that there could be a half or three quarters that Kyle Allen plays. I don't think there's any player that's going to have five pass attempts. I think it's that hey, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't even I don't even know who 
the former uh, Dawson Knox was the guy who used to play quarterback. He, I don't even know. Who yeah, he'd be the only one. Yeah. Do we have a guy at receiver who's ever thrown a pass left? Uh, no, I mean John Brown's gone. He, John Brown's gone. Cole I, Beasley's I, gone. Yeah, I don't know if we have anybody who's ever thrown an NFL pass in our receiving group right now, but I don't think it's crazy that someone has a trick play that we throw one. I think Kyle Allen has more than one pass attempt this year. Okay. So then going into question number two, which is who catches more touchdowns, Josh Allen or an offensive lineman? Ooh. All right. I, I got a fat man touchdown in my life. I yeah. <laughs> I love, a good, love a good fat man touchdown. Um, I, I'm going – I got to go offensive lineman here. I, th- I think there's a creative goal line thing where you have a like a like a, you know, a seventh – you know, lineman or whatever, basically in a jumbo package, who comes out and gets one that way. But I, yeah, you know, th- that was so much fun when Josh Allen had the receiving touchdown. You were like, "Oh my god!" Like we're we're not just beating them; like we're stuck it to. Him. What what can't he do? Oh, slide first. The answer is nothing. Yeah, slide. <laughs> um, to throw a check down to his ring. Um, the, <laughs> I think it was two years ago, or it might have even been the 2020 season. I don't remember which one. One of those seasons. It might have been 2020. Ryan Bates ran, I think it was 13 routes. Like it was a big number. One of the two years he really? was in the because the year that he was the constant jumbo set guy, like Bobby Hart last year, mm-hmm. they ran him in almost all goal to go situations. He leaked out in a pattern a bunch of times. One play, Josh tried to throw it to him and ended up either having to eat it for a sack or threw it away where you couldn't obviously tell. But if you go back and we're watching the all 22, you could see him looking at Bates. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've actually tried to throw a fat man touchdown quite a few times. We just haven't had to come together in a long time. Uh, what, Tom, did Tommy Doyle get one in the playoff game against the Patriots? Is that the, the last one? I think that's the last one. I think, yeah, Tommy Doyle's touchdown. Cause I, I remember the joke that Tommy Doyle got a, playoff touchdown before Emmanuel Sanders in his career, I think was the, <laughs> the joke. Um, but that's the only time we've seen them actually execute it. I a hundred percent think it's in play. And I, I don't, I kind of hope we don't try to throw Josh the ball again. Yeah, please. I, I mean, look at this point, I'm, good. I'm, good. I'm nervous enough when he runs, I don't need to get, you know, start sweating bullets when he's trying to catch passes and take shots at the knees. hundred percent agree. All right, let, let me ask you guys, which Bills running back would you rather have in fantasy football? Delvin Cook. <laughs> oh, wait, he's not on the roster yet. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, sadly, he's going to be in the division, but it's not going to be Buffalo. No, um, no. I think it's pretty comfortably James Cook, just because I think I think that both Latavius Murray and Damian Harris make the roster. I think both of them get some goal line touches. Latavius Murray is a sneaky guy, and I think that there will be – some really frustrated fantasy owners of both Josh Allen and James Cook when Latavius Murray has four touchdowns and Damian Harris Harris has six on the year. And there's going to be games where, you know, James Cook's going to have a really nice drive going and then one of those guys punch it in instead. Uh, But I think James Cook is the Devin Singletary. Like where Singletary's had about a thousand all-purpose yards each year. I think that's James Cook. I think he's the, you know, 55% 55% backfield guy that Singletary has been. And I think he's now that primary, even though we're not going to have like a stud fantasy guy in any scenario, because we still have Josh, we're still passing offense. We have 
for running backs. I think Cook is the primary guy and the one to own in fantasy. I would agree with you on that. I think James Cook is where my money is going on that one. Um, but I also agree with Latavius Murray. I think Latavius Murray is your running back too at this point. Yeah. For um, anybody that listens and does like the daily fantasy or the the year-long best ball stuff, like uh, um, what's the – Like FanDuel? No, the other one, the the yellow and black. What are, what underdog. Are underdog. Anybody who yeah. does the season-long underdog stuff, throw a last round pick on like Damian Harris and Latavius Murray because in like I said four or five six games they're going to get you a touchdown and it's mm-hmm. going to be like a nice little buoy to have there and there's I mean Damian Harris has a 15 touchdown season he's a good runner I think I mean I'm surprised. I thought you guys I forgot would be about him a little bit more I forgot he, about him with all the hype with Latavius Murray he has a 900 yard 15 touchdown season under his belt only two years ago so, so wait, real quick, Greg. Then where does Naheem Hines fit into this restructure his contract? Obviously, we know he can play special teams. Yeah. Is that where we're going to just see him? Is just kicking, kicking punt returns? Um, I think that he has a passing role in this offense. I think sneaky people don't realize our running backs have had like eighty or ninety targets each year. It's just been like fifty-ish from Singletary. Sneaky, like Zach Moss had like thirty, and mm-hmm. then a couple others sprinkled around. I don't think we throw any balls to Latavius Murray or Damian Harris. And I think that Naheem Hines now has the full offseason to build that role. So I think he is special teams return guy. I think actually I'll, I'll, I'll save one here. I'll ask you guys for, and I'll, I'll flip you around as the host. Um, I think that he has a role that's there. Who do you think leads the bills in return yards this season? Is that reason mm-hmm. it's not, it's not him. Dante Hardy's really good at it. He's very fast, too. Hmm. He was an all-pro returner. His all-pro nod was as a returner. To me, if if they're not using Hardy in that slot position, which I honestly think it's going to, which I guess could be another question, too. But in my opinion, it's going to be Shakir's job, I think, in the slot. I think Shakir just showed too much promise. I think Shakir's your slot guy outside of, obviously, however they use Dalton Kincaid. Um, but I think Hardy, as a, as a punt returner, is dangerous. And then I, mean, I think obviously you have Naheem Hines as a kick returner. Yes, I think it's both. I, I think, think it's it's a scary combination. To have. Yeah, I mean at some point you're starting to get into, but there's not enough game day roster spots for all these guys. But like Naheem Hines, they could have cut him and walked away for nothing this year. You think is is that enough usage to justify that roster spot just returning punts? They kept four punters, last, four uh, running backs last year, and one of them only played on special teams to tackle people. Yeah, and they also so. If you're from a roster spot standpoint, the way I like to think about it is running back, fullback, and receiver together was a, is 11 roster spots. I think it's 11 roster spots again this year. Three of them were coverage guys on kicks. So those three were Taiwan Jones, Reggie Gilliam, and Jake Kumaro. We had three coverage guys, non-returners. So Isaiah McKenzie would technically be a fourth special teams guy. We're going to have that again, in my opinion, because I think you have Trent Sherfield, Justin Shorter, and Reggie Gillian. You still have three coverage guys. So uh-huh. we can have a 11 running back, fullback, wide receiver, and have 11 again and have the same amount of coverage guys as we did before. So you can still have four guys on the game day active roster that can be James Cook, Damian Harris, Otavius Murray, um, and Naheem Hines, I think it's either. I don't think we have a lot of games where both Murray or Harris are both active. I think you pick one or the other, and they're the short yardage 
four minute offense guy, but I think Naheem Hines can have, I went through and messed around with it and tried to actually like project the numbers. I think that Naheem Hines can have 35 to 40 targets and like 30 catches on the year and be the primary kick returner. And that's okay. a, that's a functional job. He can get some screens, some, the jet sweeps, little pop pass thing we would do to McKenzie. I think he can have that role and be the primary kick returner. And I actually, I actually disagree with Charlie. I think Deontay Hardy is our starting slot receiver and our punt returner. Okay. They gave I, him I, a look, deal I that like could him, be worth I up like to seven million dollars. Yeah, that they, his contract I think was more than what people realize. Like they actually tried to pay him a decent chunk of money, and that I think his efficiency numbers in New Orleans with some horrible quarterback play was really intriguing. I think that he's. Oh, here I'll I'll, I'll ask a, a question. How many targets do you think Isaiah McKenzie had last year? I'll, I'll let you both guess. Uh, fewer than I think, so like under 40. Okay. Yeah, so, I was going to say probably around 2025. 65. Oh, shit. Isaiah really? McKenzie had 65 targets last year. How many completions? Um, It was 42 like, completions. Okay. Yeah. So I think that Deontay Hardy is better than Isaiah McKenzie and is that new guy. And is pretty close to that. So maybe it comes down a little bit, and maybe Shakir goes from 20, his 20 targets go up to like 30. And maybe Hardy McKenzie's role goes from 65 down to 55. But I don't think Shakira just takes it. I think Hardy got signed for that deal and that it was, you know, 9.5 million. It could be worth up to more. I think the almost five million dollars is a more investment than just punt return guy. Okay. I so just because you asked this question about return yardage, do you think the the touchback rule changing at all this year affects affects teams wanting to take them out? Do you think that teams are going to kick shorter, hoping they return it? Does that how do you think that rule change comes into play here? I think there's a lot of dominoes that come into play. The NFL has stated that uh, their hope last year there were 38 percent of kicks were returned. So I think people way overdo it that, oh, the kick return doesn't exist. 38% is not zero. Now, it's not what it used to be, like 70%, but it's not zero. When you still have to cover 38% of the kicks, that's still a thing. Their goal, and when college did this, it went down 5%. Their goal is for it to go from 38% to 33%. Again, 33% is a real number. Like, that's not zero. That's not all of a sudden just zero returns. So I think that over time it will slightly decrease. I actually, my personal goal, belief is in two years, we see that XFL set up where it's mm-hmm. two lines 10 yards away from each other, but already down there. So you don't get the running head of steam. You only mm-hmm. have the kicker back there and the kicker. I think you, that you get more returns, which is fun and reduce the injury significantly. I think that's coming, but in the interim here, some teams will overdo it. Some teams will cut their Tyler Matakevich's. They won't have a Taiwan Jones anymore. And then I think other teams will see that as a bad decision and have their returner take out more kicks because they're going to have a bunch of Isaiah Hodginses trying to return kicks because people try to keep their Khalil Shakirs and their Isaiah Hodgins and be like, well, somebody's got to recover the kick. And then all of a sudden when Khalil Shakir whiffs on a special teams tackle and the guy takes it back to the house, you're like, oh, that's why you actually needed to keep a, a coverage guy because we just gave up a touchdown because mm-hmm. we needed Khalil Shakir and I, somebody's got to cover the kick 
and now that team takes it out of the end zone and we give up a touchdown because we didn't have that guy anymore. While we're on the top of wide receiver real quick, Buffalo drafted Justin Shorter. Big body. Something that they don't have at that wide receiver position. What are the odds, and I want a number, odds of Justin Shorter being on the week one roster? 100. Okay. I like that one, number. 100. I, I, I like that number. Okay, the answer is actually 99 because sure. <laughs> I mean, once, once in Brandon Bean's entire tenure have they cut a guy in the fifth round or higher. Okay. Once. And it's that uh, Voshan Joseph. Yep. Mm-hmm. And yep. that was in, guy. and that was injury related. Mm-hmm. They have not cut a guy in a fifth round picker better in Bean's entire tenure, uh, short of health. Um. He also is the anti Isaiah Hodgins in that he can play all four phases of special teams day one. Mm-hmm. He's really good at covering kicks. He's probably going to be in the running to just train behind Trent Sherfield as a new gunner down the line. Mm-hmm. So not only do I think he makes the roster, I actually think he's a game day active lock in that awesome. he's going to play all the time. I don't think he's ready to be a receiver in the NFL, <laughs> um, but just hang out with the wide receiver coach, watch Stefan Diggs all the time. Hell, watch Trent Sherfield all the time. That dude's never yeah. even been on a practice squad his entire career, and he wasn't even drafted. Um, so I think he plays and is game day active and that he also has like 11 targets on the season because he's not really going to play receiver yet. But if you're going to gamble on a guy, he's the perfect gamble because he has a role already. Even if he's not a good receiver, he has a role. And that he also is a five-star recruit that was the number one wide receiver in his recruiting yeah. class. Yeah. So if you're going to take a shot on a guy, hell, maybe it was just bad quarterback play and bad coaching in college, and maybe he'll be a better pro than he was a – a prospect, but he can play special teams day one, and that's valuable when you're a 6'4, 230 pound former five star receiver. I'll say this about him, and I mentioned this on the podcast as well. The one one of my favorite things about him is the fact that he can, he's so good at tracking the ball, which is one thing, especially with a guy his size. I think you, you give him a quarterback like Josh Allen, he didn't have great quarterback play at Florida. I mean, look, I know Richardson was one of the top quarterbacks in, in the draft this year. I get it. I still, I, I'm a Gators fan and I don't think he was that great. I think the Florida state game last year was a perfect example of his flaws and he didn't have great coaching. He didn't have offensive minded coaches at Florida. I think Dan Mullen was a complete joke, but I do think that him in the NFL now, wherever he went, I do think the, the ability is there for him to grow into, I don't want to necessarily say a starting role, but I won't be surprised if at some point you see him, you know, playing that Gabe Davis role somewhere, whether it's Buffalo or elsewhere, as as a wide receiver too for a team that's taking a chance on on a guy. And I think he proves proves to everyone in the league that he can play in this league. Yeah, that special teams uh, no is interesting because I'm thinking, yeah, he's definitely on the roster, but or, you know, making the team is not getting cut. But I'm thinking, you know, on this team, who's he really starting over at wide receiver? Who's how's he getting on the field? He doesn't have to. He, yeah. you know, th- there's a role. Uh, so sure. that, that's a good point. I like that a lot. Yeah, Jake Kumaro was game day active almost every game. He's just a slightly better Jake Kumaro. Touchdown, Jesus. Yeah. We have two of them. Trent, Trent Sherfield and Justin Shorter are both. So Trent Sherfield's the actual upgrade over uh, Jake Kumaro because Trent Sherfield's a better receiver than he was, and he's a better special teams player than he was. And mm-hmm. now we have another one with Justin Shorter, which is why 
All right, uh, Charlie, cover your ears real quick. Um, <laughs> Nick, this comment's just for Nick. Um, Khalil Shakir is going to be a game day inactive most of the season. Ooh, fire take, fire take. Yeah, I mean, the, the what we're laying out is kind of kind of says that. I guess without saying it aloud, but yeah, I he, hear that he has to straight up beat out Deontay Hardy for that job definitively enough that they let because one of the ga- one of the receivers isn't going to be game day active. So either he's got to learn to cover kicks instead of Justin Shorter, like cover and go down to tackle people, or he has to beat out Deontay Hardy by so much that they have to play him as the starting slot and that Deontay Hardy is then just a $5 million punt returner. And right now I'd bet that he's slightly under both of those competitions. Yeah. You're, you're very high on, on Deontay Hardy. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I look at Super man, I, sneaky. I, by week eight, he's going to be a new uh, fan favorite, and he yeah. will be all. He's going to be everything that fans thought Isaiah McKenzie was. <laughs> Look, I was a big Isaiah McKenzie fan. I was an Isaiah McKenzie <laughs> stan. So if you're telling me Buffalo's going to upgrade over Isaiah McKenzie, like tell me where I can order my Deontay Hardy jersey now. You are going to be so excited about having him in just a little bit. I can't wait. I can't wait to text Nick and be like, all my excitement about the other Hardy. <laughs> All right, guys, give me give me a line. I want to hear tight end targets. I want to hear you say it's it's Dawson Knox minus five. It's it's you know Charlie Greg. I want a tight end targets. Not they don't even have to catch it. Is it Dalton Kincaid minus ten? Is he going to be a big like I'm? I really don't know how I see this breaking out, but I'm curious where you guys would, would put a line if you had to. By the end of the season, it will be Dalton Kincaid. So I got to figure out. Will Ox get enough early targets that it wins the end of the season? I think by the end of the season, Dalton Kincaid has more total targets than Dawson Knox. And I, in, yeah, in, going into the playoffs, I yeah. think it's definitively within, I mean, within five, 10, I mean, more 15. If you gave me Dawson Knox plus 15. I'd probably take it. Yeah. I'd, prob- I'd okay. probably bet on Yeah. Him. Just because it's a rookie and it's unknown, but everything else would say it should be around it should be around Kincaid minus fifteen. But look at how much if if they're really talking about putting Kincaid into that Cole Beasley role, look at how much Cole Beasley got the ball, right? If if that's what the plan is, mm-hmm. is to use Kincaid in that role, I think Kincaid's gonna set the Bills tight end rookie reception record. Which Dawson Knox, don't forget, got very I mean, close his rookie year. The Bills' tight end reception record is what, though? That doesn't sound that impressive. I think it's, it's like 46, it's right? Everything. As a rookie? Hey, let, I'll do another shameless plug. Um, go. There's a guy, he goes by like low buff of ceilings. He's like one of our producers and he does a lot of like stat research for us. He did a thread because tomorrow night Aaron and I are talking about uh, the Bills' tight end position preview and did a lot of research on how sad – our history, our <laughs> franchise history is at tight end. It is. Yes. <laughs> like we are so far the worst historical tight end franchise of every NFL franchise. It's hysterical. Like we don't have a guy in the top hundred all time in uh, uh, tight end receptions and yards mm-hmm. and those kind of things. All of our guys start like Jay Remersma and Pete Metzler's are like 112th all time and 115th. Mm-hmm. Every other franchise has three guys better than our best guy. 
We so, don't, so look, let me so, ask you this question real bar. quick. Let me ask you this question real quick. So Pete Meslars, from what I'm seeing on what I'm looking at, and it's not showing me everyone, but uh, I believe Pete Meslars has the most receptions at 68 in a season. By a Bills rookie by a Bills tight end. T- No, by a Bills tight end as a whole. Any Bills tight end. Any Bills tight end. Do – well, do, do is not the right answer. Does um, Dalton Kincaid get more than 68 uh, receptions a season? I would love for that to happen. I got to say no just because the ball needs to go around to so many – like there's too many mouths to feed. Okay. Yeah. I, I, and as a rookie, page. he's not going to like leap out – as one rookie tight ends almost never do. Like there's a reason Mike Dicka still holds most of the rookie tight end records. And that's freaking 60 years ago. Um, So I don't think he comes out and like shatters NFL records as a rookie, but I do think it could be like 65 targets to Dawson mm-hmm. Knox's 48. So the plus 15 could work. And I think he could catch like 52 of his 65 targets. So I do think he could break some records for us as rookie tight ends. And the comment that Chris, who's our producer that wrote that, said that he thinks he could rewrite the Bills tight end record book during his rookie contract. Like just wow. during his five years of a rookie contract, he could be the like the greatest Bills tight end in history, which again is an insanely low bar, like an embarrassingly low bar. Charles, like anybody who wants to get mad about it, Charles Clay and Jay Reimersma are in the discussion. At like most people will pick Pete Metzlers because of the, I mean, the length d- of time. D- I'm looking right there. now. David Nelson has the second most receptions it's, as a Bills tight end. It's but sad, he wasn't even a tight end. Wait, it's, it's a receiver. It's He's technically the what they what they listed him as in that Changeli offense that year. But right. it's super sad. The you know, Charles Clay had 57 in a year. I actually will make the argument that Jay Reimersma is actually the greatest tight end in Bills history, not Pete Metzler's. Um, but it's it's sad that that's the case. Like that's really, really sad. He had a 78 target 53 catch season was his best mm-hmm. year. Um, it's just such a low, sad bar. It's it's terrible. Um, I mean, Mesler's had, had his 68 receptions on 95 targets. Like, yeah. kids not getting 95 no targets. Way. No, no way. Uh, and, no and way. That, but don't forget, that's also an offense with Kenny Lofton, Don Beebe, and Andre Reid. I love that you said Kenny Lofton instead of James Lofton. But Kenny Sorry, Lofton James Lofton. Lofton. <laughs> Sorry, not Kenny Lofton. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny Lofton was awesome, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that dude would have had some you. targets in the Bills' Sorry, offense, for sure. I, I was still in diapers when James Lofton was catching football. So, you know, I, I totally uh, – totally So, I, I think – also, there's, I think all of the buzz around Dalton Kincaid is real because I think they love to temper expectations and and pop, like kind of dampen stuff down. But when uninvited Von Miller just like brought up on his own that like, dude, this Dalton Kincaid kid is insane. Like no one asked him about Dalton Kincaid. No one asked him that. He just wanted a reason to bring that up in his press conference. I think. I think Dalton Kincaid is going to be fun, but it's still a rookie tight end. It's still a ton of mouths to feed in this offense. We still, we're not all of a sudden going to just get rid of Dawson Knox. Like he's still going to be a really good, it's just by the time the playoffs come, he'll be a really good tight end too. Yeah. All right. I got one that I want to get to right at the end, but uh, you guys got any more lines you want, want to throw out there before we wrap up? I asked you my return one. We already talked about the running backs. Uh, who uh, are you going to ask about who gets after the quarterback? 
Uh, I was not going to ask that one. Okay, I got, I got I, I, my. It's way off the board. I like that one because it brings into question how many games Von Miller is going to come back for and how mm-hmm. big of a leap Gregory Rousseau is going to make. Mm-hmm. So who leads the who leads the Bills in sacks by the end of the season? So I, I was thinking about this one before we started here, and it really depends how soon you think Von Miller is coming back. Because you know, if, if he had a whole season, he would be the runaway favorite. Yeah, uh, Greg Rousseau is talking a big game. Looks like he's ready for a jump. I love group. I love him so much. Do you like, <laughs> like? Let's assume week one. Like, assume Von Miller does not play. Are we looking at Leonard Floyd playing six two thirds of snaps here? I mean, I mean, he's, I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, so when Vaughn comes back, which, which is seeming like it's going to be sooner rather than later, that you, that would seem to push Floyd into the third most snaps. I I would get you know when, once he's fully fully back, uh, so that by that point it's between Vaughn and Rousseau, and then it just depends how soon you think Vaughn is coming back. In 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 my opinion, I would love to see them all like pushing toward double digits. Not going to happen. I'm dreaming here. Uh, I still got to go Vaughn. I think. Uh, I don't think I don't think it's crazy to still pick him. I think I think I'm gonna pick Gregory Russo because I think all of them yeah. are gonna be like eight, nine and a half, and eleven. Like okay. I think all I think Vaughn comes back and still is gonna play enough to get eight to ten ish. Um, I think Floyd's gonna be good and is gonna get another mm-hmm. eight, nine, ten. And I think Gregory Russo has a yeah. breakout like twelve and a half sacks. Yeah. All right, Charlie. If you, tell me right. The gonna get, if you tell me the Bills are gonna get thirty sacks this season just from the the defensive end, like I'm signing up for that in a second. You know. Um, I would I, I do agree though. I think to me it's this year for Greg Rousseau or it's bust at this point, right? Like he's gotta click this season. I think he does. I think he showed a lot of improvement last year. I think he continues to show that improvement, continues uh that upward trajectory that he is currently on. And I think you see a big career year for him this season. It's it, there's only one answer here, and I think it's Greg Rousseau. Even in my opinion, even if uh, Miller plays all games. I still think Greg Rousseau, strictly because they can't double team Ed Oliver and Von Miller. They can't double team Puna Ford or whoever is playing defensive tackle two role, right? They can't double team that whole line. The only one, in my opinion, that's not going to be double teamed is going to be Greg Rousseau on the end. And if he can win his one on one battles, which he's proven that he can. I think it's a no-brainer that that Greg Rousseau is going to be that guy. He's sneaky. His eight sacks last year were only in thirteen games, which is crazy. He, he missed four games, so he actually was on pace for ten and a half sacks last year, with with what it was, and he was playing super well opposite mm-hmm. Vaughn. So I think having Leonard Floyd right off the bat and always having one of those bendy, concerning guys opposite Rousseau all the time. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to clean up well. And I, like I said, I'm a huge fan of his. I, I love Greg Rousseau. I do have one more question. Uh, yeah, hit it. And look, and, and I, I don't want to be that guy, but given where this Bills team is now, not a lot of holes in, in multiple sides of the football, I hate to say this, is there a roster spot for Tamar Hamlin? This season. Um, so I think Demar Hamlin is showed last year that he could be a starting caliber player. I don't know that he can be a special player. I think that he could be a okay 
starter in the league. I think guys like Jaquan Johnson was a big liability. And I think that DeMar is better suited to play like in the box than the Micah Hyde center fielder type mm-hmm. role. But I think he's pretty good. Pretty good. I would be terrified to try to play football again if I was uh, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it seems like that's what he wants and what he wants to do. And I think he is better than Cam Lewis. I think he is better than Dean Marlowe. Um, so I think obviously Taylor Rapp is the third safety, but I think he is our fourth best safety. So I would love if we just could let him be a nice story and be around the team and be on the practice squad and not have to go out there and play. But if that's what the man wants to do, I think he's good enough to beat out the other guys and be that fourth safety and play special teams and be around. The the reason I ask, and, and this is where my brain goes, is you, we talked about it earlier with Christian Bedford. If Christian Bedford is not your CB2, I think the plan is to move him to safety, whether it's this year or next year. And if the and if they're moving him to safety and he's that fourth string safety, where does Hamlet fit in? I think, truthfully, it's a position where they would need him to be, right? Because if Hyde goes down or something goes down, I'm comfortable plugging him into that role. Um, but I'm with you, man. I'd be absolutely terrified to be playing football right now if I was him. When you need four safeties in the NFL. You need all those guys to be game day active to play on special teams. I don't know that I see hit four guys beating him out this year or next year without some pretty legitimate investment in that mm-hmm. group, uh, even moving Christian Benford. So I hope that DeMar Hamlin doesn't have to start for us at any time and can be on the roster as a special teams guy or as, and as a great comeback story. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, all right. So, I mean, my, the prop I was going to end with was over under snaps played for DeMar Hamlin this year, and it was going to mm-hmm. be like 0.5. It's almost uh, like we're like, best friends in heaven. Like, right? <laughs> almost. Um, That's awesome. So That's listen, awesome. The, the way I see this here is, is I don't think the Bills are going to have to cut him. I, I think that they find a way to get him on PUP and he, like they really take their time getting him back. I think he's probably, you know, if they start him on, on reserve PUP, I think that's what four weeks before he's even allowed to rejoin the team. I think they kind of just, just sneak him by on that list. If there's a bunch of injuries, if they really need something, then wow, suddenly his practice window is, has been opened. And um, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that they, they would cut him yet, but, but I think they, they kind of just, just, if they have to wink and nod to the NFL to, to do it, they they do, and I think they kind of just keep them. I don't definitely don't see them in the lineup week one. I, I think they put them on on some kind of list like that, and and it you know maybe mid season if there's some injuries and he's you know coming back. But so similar to my Isaiah McKenzie question before, but I don't even have a sneaky way to do it without giving it away. Besides Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, who had the most tackles on the Bills last year? The answer is uh, DeMar, DeMar Hamlin. Really? DeMar Hamlin wow. had more tackles than Taron Johnson, Jordan Poyer, Dane Jackson, Kyrie Elam, Daquan, Ed, Greg Rousseau, anyone else. DeMar Hamlin played almost 1,000 snaps last year. Because, I mean, people forget, Micah Hyde went down super early. Mm-hmm. So last year, DeMar Hamlin played in 15 games and started 13. He started 13 games prior to dying on the football field and having to be resuscitated back to life. Um, so it he played a ton last year and actually was passable. Like, mm-hmm. 
he was okay. He was uh, he it, the defense wasn't falling apart with him back there with Jordan Poyer, and he had more tackles than Jordan Poyer did. Now, Greg, now I know now I know you don't know hockey. Um, famously, <laughs> but I, you know, I always like to think of it like this way when it comes to my safeties or DBs, the same way that I like to think of my defensemen when I'm watching hockey. If I don't hear their name throughout the game, mm. then I know that you know they're not doing anything wrong, right? The less you hear their name, the better. The less I hear Hamlin's name called, and I, I feel like I didn't, or I should say, the less you notice them throughout the game. I didn't notice Hamlin doing anything, and I don't mean that in a bad way. No, that's a great I, I way to think of it. Him. There were a few snaps where I'm like, man, like if Michael was back, then Michael might have had that ball. Michael made a, Michael might have broke up that that pass. But I wouldn't say that it was every single game that that was going on. I can think well, of a handful of times if that. Yeah. Micah's a great example. There are a ton of games where you don't realize Micah Hyde is there, mm-hmm. where all we know is that he was taking away stuff that didn't happen because they were afraid of him being back there. Mm-hmm. There's like, you know, Jordan Poyer makes himself known a lot. Like he just, you know, has those big hits and is more around the ball. Micah Hyde has tons of games where you don't realize he's there. And that's the reason that zero 20 yard passes are completed over an entire season because of guys like him. Right. Um, DeMar Hamlin's not that, but he's actually more passable than people think. So I, I think I would love the answer to be zero. I kind of wish he wouldn't play because I don't want that anxiety in my life of worrying about it, but it sounds like he's going to, and I think he's actually better than people remember. Okay. Great. All right. That's, I'm all out of questions here. No, this is awesome. This is a ton of fun, man. This is an awesome like, uh, idea for a show, so I really appreciate you guys thinking of me yeah. uh, t- to have me on, and this was uh, a blast. You are one of our favorites, Greg. Um, you know, go ahead and you know plug everything. Cover one. I know you guys have a lot going on this year. I'm a big fan of everything you guys do. So, you know, go go ahead, plug all your stuff. Appreciate it. You guys can find me uh, at Greg Thompson on Twitter. You can find all of my stuff over if you just search for Cover One on YouTube. We obviously have a ton of different shows and different things going on. But Aaron and I, every Wednesday night, we'll preview games coming up this season. Every t- right after the game, we do our our post game breakdowns. So you can come check out everything that we have going on there. We're right now in our mid uh off season content doing position breakdown so if you're a fan who you know is excited about this team now and you know doesn't know the most about it come check that out it's a really helpful series we think in helping people understand who's on this team who's gonna play what roles all the different things there we're going through all those uh for you in our position preview series so come check that out you can find us on Twitter at the underscore process pod. You find me on Twitter at chatwit68. You find Nick on Facebook at by Nick Veronica. I haven't done this in a while, so hopefully I'm remembering everything correctly. And uh, you can find Nick on Twitter at Nick Veronica. Appreciate everyone tuning in. Thank you for joining us. And remember to always trust the process.